this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking to one of the authors of Reactionary Republicanism, How the Tea Party in the House Paved the Way for Trump's Victory. Uh, the authors are Brian Gervais and Erwin Morris. I have Brian on the phone today. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Heath. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely a pleasure. We were just talking about we're in the... the um, let's call it the hangover of, of the APSA meeting. We're, we're back to our regular lives. Um, but in the meantime, you've published this really interesting book uh, with your, with your uh, colleague, Erwin Morris. Before we talk about the book, would you just introduce yourself a little bit and, and also your, your co- uh, co-author on it? Sure. I, I'm Brian Gervais. I am an assistant professor at the University of Texas at San Antonio. And my co-author, Erwin Morris, is a professor and chair at the Department of Government and Politics at the University of Maryland. The book that the two of you have written uh, is on a subject matter of that there have been a number of really interesting books. Uh, so we, we know things about the Tea Party, uh, but we don't know very much about the specific part of the Tea Party that you're, you're focusing on. You're focusing on Congress right. um, in a way that, that really no one has before, and especially not in this depth. And it makes the book so really interesting and, and, and timely in some ways that we'll talk about maybe towards the end, end of the conversation. But let's just get started kind of just on that definitional thing. When you describe the Tea Party, what do you mean in the book? And, and, and maybe how is it a little different than some of the other uh, books that we may have read or, or things that we may have heard about the Tea Party? So define it for us from the beginning. What is the Tea Party? Yeah, so we got interested in studying the Tea Party in Congress shortly after the Tea Party Caucus first launched in the House of Representatives. It seems so long ago, but Michelle Bachman created it in around the fall of uh, 2009 or so, ahead of the 2010 midterm elections. And our initial conception of the Tea Party in Congress was really just that, right? It's the first sort of institutionalized version of the Tea Party versus, you know, the Tea Party, the mass public, people attending rallies, etc. And also Tea Party organizations like Tea Party Express and Freedom Works and other Tea Party elites like Sarah Palin uh, and, and others. And so we really thought, well, if we want to understand the Tea Party in Congress, we just need to focus on this formal caucus, the Tea Party in Caucus. Uh, caucus. And our initial sort of research on the, on the Tea Party is really just focused on members of that caucus and what made them different from other House Republicans. Over time, we sort of reassessed that, uh, especially after the 2012 elections, um, the Tea Party caucus sort of faded. This formal uh, vehicle for the Tea Party really no longer existed anymore. It, it was said to exist, but there really wasn't formal membership anymore. And so after that, we really started to go about looking at the Tea Party slightly differently. And we really realized there's sort of two dimensions to the extent to which uh, House Republicans are associated with the Tea Party. 
there's some Tea or some House Republicans who make efforts to attach, uh, made efforts to attach themselves to the Tea Party, to be seen as part of the broader Tea Party movement. And there's other members who are receiving backing from that those sort of external Tea Party elements we were talking about, the Tea Party, the mass public, meaning Tea Party activists and Tea Party organizations like Freedom Works, Tea Party Ex- Express, etc. Some members. Uh, got support from or, or were attached to the Tea Party on both of these dimensions, meaning they made efforts to self-identify as Tea Partiers, and they're receiving outside support from the Tea Party. Um, and some received no support or, or weren't associated with the Tea Party at all on either dimension. And so when we talk about the Tea Party members in Congress, we're really talking about uh, where they fall in these two dimensions of Tea Party attachment, that's self-identification, and Tea Party support. Or, or support from the external Tea Party. Now, one of the ways that you sort of group this together is with these black tea, green tea, white tea, and coffee legislators. Uh, what is this shorthand that, that you use throughout the book, and I, I imagine you'll, you'll refer to, what are those indicators, how do they connect to this, this conceptualization that you just described? Yeah, so black tea was the term we came up for uh, for members that were high in both dimensions, right? So they're sort of the core members. There's no doubt that these are Tea Partiers, meaning they made they made efforts to attach themselves to the Tea Party, self-identify. They are above ever average um, on that dimension, and they're also getting support from the outside Tea Party, meaning they are getting endorsements from Tea Party organizations. They were getting campaign contributions from Tea Party organizations. And they're activists for supporting them, right? So Tea Party activists online were promoting them and promoting their ideas, right? And they're also, and so they're high in both of these dimensions. And so we're sure that those folks are the Tea Party. Uh, Green Tea was the label we came up for for folks who were high on, on Tea Party attachment, meaning they made efforts to identify as Tea Partiers, but they weren't necessarily getting support from the, out, the outside, right? From the external Tea Party movement. White tea is just the opposite. Those are folks who were getting the outside Tea Party support, but weren't making efforts to identify as Tea Party members. They weren't trying to attach themselves to the movement. And then we refer to House Republicans who had no connection to the Tea Party party on either dimension as coffee members, right? They're, they're not tea at all. They're just, um, you know, we might call them the establishment Republicans, the sort of old school type. And, and what's the breakdown for the Congresses that you studied between these different categories? How many, what's the percentage of, of uh, uh, members of Congress that fit into these categories? So it changes between the 112th and 113th Congresses, right? The two we're looking at, right? So the 112th goes from January 2011 to January 2013. 113th, uh, 113th goes from January uh, 2013 to January 2015. And we find that um, in the 112th, a much larger percentage of the uh, uh, of members are some type of Tea Partier, right? So they're they they fall into a non-coffee category. It was something like 60% in the 112th. That shrinks um, in in the 113th. It goes down, but still, roughly four in ten uh, members of Congress were some type of Tea Partier. Um, 
in, in the hundred thirteenth, right? So they're, they're sizable, sizable uh, uh, percentages of the of the Republican conference were associated with the Tea Party in some fashion in both congresses, and we think this uh, sort of it is different from the conventional wisdom, which is that that you know Tea Party in in the House, the Tea Party in Congress was sort of this small niche group of legislators. It, it was much more sizable than that. Um, there were in, even though members' association with the Tea Party changed over time, a good percentage of the Tea Party in the House, um, or rather a good percentage of the, uh, the Republican conference was associated with the Tea Party at some point, um, and, uh, and much more than I think folks uh, generally recognize. In chapter four, one of the things that you do is you try to um, figure out, so what predicts whether somebody is going to be attached to the Tea Party in the 112th Congress? And you look at a number of factors, uh, especially uh, the diversity of the um, members' district. Would you talk a little bit about that analysis and what motivated it and, and what you discovered about what predicted whether one would be closely attached or not attached to the Tea Party? Right. So when it came to Tea Party support, uh, we found that, and again, this is support from the external Tea Party, uh, we found that uh, support really did flow to less senior members, right, from more competitive districts. And we interpreted that to uh, really mean that these outside groups, um, these outside activists, they were supporting vulnerable members, right, vulnerable Republicans. They weren't necessarily trying to find uh, folks who were uh, most ideologically aligned with, with uh, the Tea Party or with conservatism. Etc. Right, and this makes some sense. There's a limitation to the amount of resources you have. You can only give so many endorsements, or if you give endorsements to everybody, endorsements become meaningless. You only have so much, uh, so many campaign funds to dole out. So you're going to be very strategic in where you um, choose to put your energy and to put your money and to put your endorsements. And so you're going to go to vulnerable members. On the other hand. Members who chose to attach to the Tea Party, self-identify as the Tea Party, make efforts to connect themselves to the Tea Party movement, right? Um, this sort of Tea Party attachment is really predicted by the racial and ethnic demographics of their districts, right? So legislators with the closest attachment to the Tea Party, they really serve districts in which the uh, African-American and Latino populations were relatively large. Right. And where there was significant opposition to Barack Obama's presidency, and there were above average levels of racial resentment in these districts. Right. So we, we sort of find, and this is something others have found too, that racial uh, resentment and anti-immigration attitudes um, were, were really tied to uh, or predicted uh, whether or not a member uh, associated with the Tea Party or not. So, so we know this about their constituents and what's going on in their district. What happens once they, they arrive in Washington or if they've already been, been elected, once they return to Washington, about how they legislate? Do they legislate in a way that corresponds to what you, what you found, what you just described about racial resentment and uh, views about immigration? Um, how do the members actually vote? Yeah. And, and I think this is perhaps one of the most interesting findings we have, right? We think of the Tea Party as being um, very conservative on economic grounds, fiscal grounds, right? The Tea Party, we're all about the budget, about the debt, etc. We don't find 
much of a difference between Tea Party Republicans and regular House Republicans when it comes to economic issues. Right? In general, the Republican conference is very conservative on fiscal matters. Whether or not they were attached to the Tea Party or not, or affiliated with the Tea Party or not, makes no real difference. Where Tea Party attachment did matter, right? So members attaching to the uh, or attaching to the Tea Party, right? Where that did matter was on issues that had to do with social issues and r- racial issues, right? So Tea Party or members who attach themselves to the Tea Party, the so-called Black Teas and Green Teas. Or more conservative on issues that had to do with uh, resisting things like employer coverage of contraceptives. Uh, they were resistant to medical marijuana, right? So these sort of social issues. And they are in favor of uh, prohibitions on abortion. Uh, they are in favor of work requirements for SNAP beneficiaries, right? Food stamps. Um, and they were uh, also um, on. Uh, had uh, voting records that we might describe as as more conservative on racial grounds. Uh, what we mean by that is that they were in favor of limiting the Department of Justice's uh, ability to challenge controversial state immigration laws, and also blocking the DOJ's ability to um, help African American farmers who had claimed discrimination in the past. Uh, they were uh, made efforts to block DACA. Um, and they also um, backed policies uh, um, or, or, or were interested in policies having to do with fair housing and wages um, that disproportionately affected minority communities. So this is how they differentiated themselves, at least on legislative grounds, um, from regular House or Repu- House Republicans, a much more socially and racially conservative voting record. So this, this I think, would be... Um in some ways, I, maybe not eye-opening, but but really does change the way in which the Tea Party uh, portrayed itself, uh, which was concerned uh, mainly and sometimes almost exclusively with balancing the budget and cutting federal spending. What, what you found is, is something uh, very different, and it suggests that the way in which they uh, had portrayed themselves, or at least were portrayed in the media, didn't really uh, fit with uh, the way in which they legislated. You have an additional way to look at that, which is the way in which they communicated, uh, especially with social media. Uh, So were these, was this um, paradox reflected in in the the social media uh, communications or were they as um, resentful uh, as as one might imagine, given some of these voting patterns? Yeah, so when we looked at, so... I'll say we, we collected all the tweets issued by uh, House Republicans' official Twitter accounts uh, throughout the four-year period we're studying, right? So we, we, we had a lot of tweets to look at. And what we are looking for were, are a couple things specifically. We wanted to measure uh, uh, different types of affect, that is emotion in those tweets, right? So we wanted to look at how angry, how sad, um, and how anxious the tweets were. And we also wanted to look at uh, the presence of incivility, in those tweets as well, right? So another element of the conventional wisdom about the Tea Party is that it's relatively uncivil and it's resentful and describes a declining uh, uh, America. And, and we found that um, members of uh, or members uh, associated with the Tea Party who attached themselves to the Tea Party were more likely to issue tweets um, that had high levels of anger and high levels of sadness, right? And in those tweets are sort of describing a declining United States, right? They're describing a, a United States that um, whose uh, 
best days were 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 behind it. Uh, a United States in which uh, the federal government had failed. Uh, a United States in which uh, the United uh, the federal government was even. Um, in, in some ways, this sort of big bully, all right, picking on folks, and, and certainly had favorites, right? And and this is sort of a, an underlying element in all the in all the tweets is that there there are certain groups that are being favored by the federal government, specifically the Obama administration, and others that 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 aren't. And we found um, uh, you know lots of discussion, of, uh, lots of sort of hyperbolic rhetoric regarding uh, Obama specifically and his sort of um, efforts to. Uh, consolidate power and ignore the uh, the Constitution, um, and at the same time, this description of, of, of concern about illegal immigrants and um, and uh, 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 um, efforts, um, or rather, uh, declining uh, declining hope in the United States of uh, economic decline overall, of people sort of giving up. Etc. Right. So it's a very it, it, it's a description of a changing United States and one in which um, um, you know really paints a picture of, of a country in despair um, and, and decline. Now um, we don't today in 2018 hear members of Congress self-identify as Tea Party, and we we also don't see um, a Tea Party organizations uh, making the kinds of endorsements and participating. Uh, is the Tea Party gone, or or is what we what we call it simply changed? I think it's the latter, right? Uh, the, the the Tea Party's not gone. It it it, it lives on. It, we're just not calling it the Tea Party anymore, right? To some extent, uh, we have uh, uh, factions within Congress that we still associate with the Tea Party or get identified as Tea Party factions, right? The Freedom the Freedom Caucus in the House, uh, Justin Amash's Liberty Caucus as well. Right, but the Tea Party, I think, uh, it, 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 it's uh, its effect on Congress is still here. Right, we still see um, this sort of voting records, uh, um, or rather, Tea Party Republicans, or who were formerly part of the Tea Party, um, still voting along the same lines. Uh, the members who were part of the Tea Party, um, you know, a, a few years ago, many of them are still in Congress and, and doing the same sort of things they were doing while they were, you know calling themselves Tea Party Republicans. And at the same time, we've almost seen the Tea Party in the House expand out of the legislative branch and into the executive branch as well, right? There's a number of former members of the House who are affiliated with the Tea Party that are now in in the executive branch, now part of the Trump administration. Um, For example, um, uh, Tom Price, who was the Secretary uh, of Health and Human Services, um, not, not any longer, but he was a green tea, right? He was someone who, who, who attached himself to the Tea Party while he was in the House. Um, Mick Mulvaney, currently the director of the OMB, was also a green tea. Jim Bridenstine, who is the current head of NASA, was also a green tea. And even some founding members of the now defunct Tea Party Caucus, um, you know, who joined up when Michelle Obama, or rather Michelle Obama, Michelle, Michelle Bachman for, first launched it. <laughs> Two very different people. <laughs> um, uh, Pete Hoekstra, 
um, who is now a, an ambassador in the Trump administration. He was part of the Tea Party Caucus when it first launched. And Vice President Mike Pence was a member of the Tea Party Caucus when it first launched. And so we see Tea Party House members, these, these folks whose uh, behavior we have been measuring over a period of four years, that now they're in the executive branch. And now they're taking the same sort of Tea Party uh, policies, or at least positions, and, 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 and you know, uh, uh, bring in. Or, or putting them into practice as, as members of, of the executive branch. So in, in stepping back from the book, uh, what, do you, what sense do you make of what the Tea Party is? Um, is, it, is it, you know, in, upon reflection, simply uh, uh, the way in which do we describe the, the most conservative members of Congress? Or is there a, uh, uh, an intellectual meaning uh, that that is 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 not simply a way that we can describe polarization in using a different, more colorful, more evocative term. Um, maybe take that step back, and and you end the book. Um, you know, the title of the book, uh, "How the Tea Party in the House Paved the Way for Trump's Victory." Um, is is this you know as as likely how conservatives in the House paved the way for Trump's victory? So help us make a little sense of that. Yeah, I think the best way to describe the Tea Party in general, both the Tea Party in, in Congress and the Tea Party in the mass public, is this reactionary movement, right? And the Tea Party in, in the House, broadly speaking, was this reactionary element um, that uh, came to power and, and gained influence in the House of Representatives. And when we say it paved the path to Trump's victory, that's sort of what we mean, right? Um, it, it, it was sort of a reactionary uh, elements um, among the mass public that allowed the Tea Party to take power. But the Tea Party uh, sort of uh, uh, worsened the levels of resentment, right? They, they um, if there was sort of this simmering flame of resentment among members of the public, uh, the Tea Party uh, sort of uh, made those flames worse worse, right? They, they really uh, attempted to take advantage of this resentment, use it as, as energy. And so I think that's a, the, the way that makes the most sense is think of the Tea Party and its continuing influence is that if we think of, of, of Donald Trump's election and, and his continued support as, as being the result of reactionary politics, right? the Tea Party pay, uh, played a key role in bringing us from the Republican Party of George W. Bush to Donald Trump. In many ways, um, Republican voters especially were primed or prepared to accept a candidate like Donald Trump because they become used to the rhetoric. They become used to the approach to politics um, that the Tea Party brought. Uh, again, the book, uh, Reactionary Republicanism, How the Tea Party and the House Paved the Way for Trump's Victory. The book is published by Oxford University Press. Uh, the authors, uh, Brian Gervais, who you've been hearing from, and his co-author, Erwin Morris. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Heath. That was fun.